Recently, I heard a preacher say, you know, we hear today that the church of Jesus Christ is divided. I want you to listen to me. Religion is divided. But I'm telling you, the church of Jesus Christ is not divided. Every time I meet a born-again Christian, I don't feel divided. (laughs) I just want to hug them and kiss them on the cheek and say, glory to God, you're born again. No, I'm not divided from Christians. I'll tell you that right now. Sweetest people in this world are people who have been born of the Spirit of God. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Holy Spirit, and one Lord and Savior. I'm telling you, the true church of Jesus Christ will prevail, and it is not divided. Oh, no. We're not going to have any groups in heaven. Well, this is one group, and this is one group. We're all going to be reunited, all, all be united, and just fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him forever and ever and ever. And if you can't get along on earth, how in the world are you going to get along in heaven? So just remember, the body of Christ is not divided. The bride of Christ is not divided. Religion is divided. Okay. Now I'm fixing to make a statement that I... I really, I mean this uh, with all my heart. And uh, don't, don't jump to any conclusions or anything like that. If I had one, if God said to me, you have one final message you can preach before you go to heaven. I said, yes, Lord. I know exactly what it is. If you told me that I had one final message I could preach before I went to heaven, this would be the message. If there would be one message I would want you to hear before you go to heaven, it would be this message. So I pray that you'll listen like it'll be the final message that you'll ever hear. And not only listen to it, but make a choice right now to obey what God speaks to you. Just make that choice. This great passage of Scripture that I want us to read today, if you have your Bibles, you can follow in it. It'll be on the screen. It's Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 12. There is so much truth in every verse or two. that, uh, But I'll just read a couple of verses and tell you uh, 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 something about it. It says, all right, in Romans 14, 7. None of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live... We live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Now, you know what that says? We are responsible to Jesus as Lord of life. And we're accountable to Jesus as Lord in death. No one lives to himself. No one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. 
If we die, to, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. All right, look at the next verse. For to this end, and that is simply saying, for this reason. And boy, then he says something that I want somebody to answer for me. For this reason, Christ died. Why did he die? Rose. Well, why did he rise? And lives again. Now, he said, I'm going to tell you why Jesus died. Rose and live again. I said, I need to know that. That he might be Lord. That he might be a great example? No. They may, that he might be a miracle worker? No. That he might just save people? No. But that for this reason Christ died, rose, and lives again, that he might be, say the word, Lord of the dead and of the living. Some people who think death is the end are going to have a big surprise. Okay, since we live to the Lord, we died to the Lord. He died, rose, and lives again that he might be Lord. Then he asked us a question. And this makes me nervous sometimes because sometimes I do this. But why do you judge your brother? Well, now, if we're going to live to the Lord and die to the Lord, why are you judging your brother? Now, he's talking about somebody saved. Why do you show contempt for your brother? And boy, this is sobering. For we we shall all, A-L-L. I looked that up in the dictionary. It means all. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You're not capable of judging. There only is one there is. I'm talking about of believers, and that's Jesus. And we're all going to stand as believers before the judgment seat of Christ. Then you go on to the next verse. So we're not in the judging business. Now, we know when people have fruit in their lives, and if there's no fruit, there's no root. So I'm not going to get into all that. I don't have time. But listen to this next thing. For it is written, he says, why do you judge your brother? Why do you show it contempt for your brother? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. I looked that word every up in the dictionary. (laughs) It means every. You mean to tell me that uh, there'll be some that won't ever bow? Listen, there are going to be people that bow, and, it, uh, and they're going to be bowing at the great white throne, and that, they're going to go to hell. But there are others that are going to, be, uh, that are going to bow, and I trust you're saved at the judgment seat of Christ. And everybody ought to bow now, so you won't have to, you'll be able to bow the right way later. As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, And every tongue shall confess to God. 
and goes on and says, so then each of us, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Well, I don't have to tell you that there's a whole lot of stuff in those verses. But it's basically this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, I, I've heard so many things that describe, you know, when you say Jesus is Lord, it means he's not only present in your life, but he's president in your life. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're not, you pray that you are saying that he is not only your Savior, he is your sovereign. When you say Jesus Christ is your mediator, he is not only your mediator, but he is your master. It means that your life is under the sovereign control of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Ed told us earlier, you know, he's a preacher. You didn't know that. He told us earlier, you're not your own. Well, who do you belong to? <laughs> I belong to Jesus. I belong to him. We sang that, didn't we, Brother Ed? So, let's just look at all that it means for Jesus to be Lord of our life. Why did Jesus die on the cross? All right, I want you to look at on the screen. Because there's so, I could, I could stay here the rest of the service, but I'm going to get this, I want to just get this and move on. When Adam sinned, everybody from Adam to Jesus was separated from God. Everybody from Adam to Jesus needed to be reconciled to God. And there were ways that that ha happened to a point in the Old Testament. But the reason Jesus died on the cross is so that we could have, and I'm going to explain this, don't jump to conclusions, was so that we could have peace with God. Peace with God. I know what it is to be separated. I know what it is to be reconciled. I know what it is not to have peace. We know what it is to have peace. The word atonement, at one meant. That means we're one with God. So Jesus died on the cross so that we could be one with the Father. God could not only be just, but he could be the justifier in his holiness of those who believe. I want you to listen to Colossians 1, 19 through 22. And this will talk, tell you all I mean about being, having peace with God. And that's just why Jesus died on the cross, okay? All right, Colossians 1, 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And by him, hold it, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and you're complete in him. And by him, Jesus, in whom all the fullness dwells, to reconcile all things to himself. Hey, Jesus is going to reconcile a fallen creation 
He's going to reconcile all things to himself. Whether by him, that by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made, well, how's he going to do it? Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Oh, Jesus had to die. He had to shed his precious blood. From his wounded side, it poured. And it is through, I love what Peter said, not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and blemish. We were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean that we have peace with God through the blood of his cross? Listen to what it says. And you, I've looked you up in the dictionary. It's you. I just had to look it up in the dictionary. And you who were once, praise God, there was a time when this is true of us when we were lost. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. Jesus did not save you because you were so good. He did not reconcile you because of your conduct record. You were alienated and enemies of God in your mind. I was and you were. Well, I didn't know I was. I know you didn't, but every time you sinned, you said, I'm an enemy of God. He reconciled us to God in in his body, in the body of his flesh through death. Now listen, boy, you talk about great salvation. But the Bible says in Hebrews, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? You talk about great salvation. You talk about thorough reconciliation. We were alienated and, and with wicked works in our mind. You talk about awesome reconciliation. He reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death that he might present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. One day, I will stand before God. And he will not see me. He will see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, this blows my mind. It is almost too much for me to grasp. As a child of God, you will stand there, holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Why? How is that, Brother Fred? How is that? It is all because that Jesus Christ took the wrath of God on the cross in your place. God punished your sin in Jesus Christ. And that's why you can stand, oh dear God, holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. It's all because God punished our sin in his son. And now he saved us from the wrath to come. You say, I don't deserve that. I don't either. But let me spell it for you. G-R-A-C-E. It is the grace of God. God doing for us what we don't, we, we don't deserve and couldn't do for ourselves. But when I got under conviction of sin, I didn't say, God, 
I, I deserve to be forgiven, Lord. I am so worthy. I don't, whew, I'm glad I didn't say that. I'd be going to hell. <laughs> Unworthy as we were to present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's the meaning of the cross. That's why Jesus died. And that's why he rose again. You know, the Lord laid on him our sin. You know, it was the Father that took his wrath, the wrath for our sins, and placed it on his Son. Read, listen, just listen, look at Isaiah 53, uh, verse, uh, verse 4. Look what it says. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have seemed him stricken, crushed by God and afflicted for our sin. And it goes on in verse 10 and says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has, God has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, the father placed poured out his wrath for sin on his son. And it pleased him when he made his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why did Jesus die on the cross? So that we could have peace with God. But it says on that verse, verse um, for this reason Jesus died rose and lives again well we know why he died to make peace with God well why did he rise well let me tell you why he rises the Bible says he rose so that we could experience the forgiveness of our sin you know uh the cross was totally sufficient for our sins God raised him from the dead as his absolute stamp upon that but it was also that so that we could experience the forgiveness of our sin. He died to purchase us, but he rose to pardon us. I love, you know what Luke 13, 1 through 5 says? It says that, uh, that we better repent of our sins. That's how you get to know Jesus and experience the peace of God. He's talking about uh, repentance here in Luke 13. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. All right, and Jesus answered and said to them, Well, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. There were plenty of other Galileans that were more sinners than they were. But I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. They said, you know, those Galileans must have been bad. They mangled their blood and killed them. And they must have been bad sinners. He said, you think they were worse sinners than you were? Huh? He said, except you repent. You will likewise perish. Well, then they said, well, but Lord, there was another case. Of those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. So the tower fell on them and uh, 18 of them were killed. Do you think they were worse sinners 
than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? They're asking Jesus that. Boy, they must have been the worst sinners in Jerusalem. Listen to what Jesus said in the fifth verse. I tell you, no, they were not worse than any other sinners in Jerusalem. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You know, God calls us to repentance. And there's two things that change when you repent. You change your mind about sin. The word repent means to turn around. You change your mind about sin. You realize that it's against God, that it's wicked, it's unholy. And so you repent. You change your mind about sin, but also you change your mind about God. You realize he is a loving, caring, forgiving, sending father who sent his son. So repentance is you change your mind about sin. It's wrong, it's wicked, and I am repenting of my sins But it also changes your mind about God. He is a God of mercy and grace who forgives me and who restores me. So he died to purchase you. Peace with God. He rose to pardon you. Now, just listen to these verses. 1 John 1, 7 through 10. Listen to what it says. If we walk in the light, the Bible says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Darkness is a picture of evil. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Fellowship with each other, fellowship with Christ. We're in the same family, we're in the same body, we're part of the same bride. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing us from all sin. Then it says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. (laughs) Somebody asked somebody that we all know, do you need forgiveness? (laughs) He said, no, I don't. don't You you don't need forgiveness? He said, I don't don't think I've sinned. Let me spell that for you. I can't spell deception, but I'd like to try it, but I'm not going to try. He said, I really don't think I need it. Have you been forgiven of your sin? I don't think I need it. Everybody who needs forgiveness of sin, raise your hand, please. Thank God. We're not deceived. So it says in 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, we agree with God it's a sin. Lord, I have a bad attitude toward that person, and it is not of you. I know that you've told me to love even my enemies, and that person is not my enemy. I have a bad attitude, and I've been, I've been nursing it and rehearsing it, and I, can, I agree with you. It is a sin, and I confess it, and I'm, not gonna, I'm letting it go. I'm not going to do that, have that attitude anymore, and every time their name comes up, I'm going to pray that you'll bless them, and it makes the devil mad. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he goes, but if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So he died to purchase us as Lord. We've got to recognize his lordship. 
He rose to pardon us as Lord, the forgiveness of sin. I want you to realize this. You know, a lot of people, many, many people want what Jesus gives or Jesus is. They want what Jesus gives, but he don't want what he is. You can go up and ask anybody, well, have you sinned? Most of the time say, yeah, I've sinned. Would you like to be forgiven for your sin? Oh, yeah, I'd like to be forgiven for my sin. Well, i tell you how you can. You can turn your life over to Jesus and make him Lord of your life. And, and not, not that, you know, it's, it's works. It's just all the work of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? They say, well, I'm not ready to do that. They want what Jesus gives, forgiveness, but they don't want who he is. Let me tell you something. You cannot have what he gives without having what he is. When I am forgiven by Jesus, I belong to him. And he has washed my sins away. And I will forever, and you will forever be indebted to him for our forgiveness. So he died to purchase you. He rose to pardon you. And here's the thing. For this reason Christ died. We'll put that verse back on the screen. For this reason Christ died, rose, and lives again. Died, rose, that he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. You know, Christ died to purchase you as Lord. He rose to pardon you as Lord. But he lives to possess you as Lord. He lives to live his life in you. You know, for years I'd read this verse, and I didn't have a clue what it meant. You know, because I, I started preaching before I ever went to seminary. I'd, I'd never had a I went to Sunday school when I was growing up, and, and uh, you know, but I'd never had a Bible study. I'd never had a, any kind of Bible course. And so I started preaching, and God looked at me and said, to the, said God, have mercy on those people you're preaching to. But anyway, I've read this verse. He says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we will be saved by his life. I said, Lord, I thought it was all that he died for us. Oh, no. Oh, no. He rose so he could come to live in you. And you will be saved by his life. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, let's move on to the next part. Okay, so the, the, we've, got, we've got to recognize verse 9, the, Lord, the Lordship of Christ. Number two, we've got to recognize, realize our accountability. Now, you know, uh, we're going to go all the way back to uh, verse, well, verse 12 says, See, we're accountable to God. And verse 12 says, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. By the way, God's not going to ask me about you. I say, Lord, I know I, I didn't do too good, but you know, you, know, you know him. He said, I'm not talking to you about him. I'm interested in you right now. I'm not going to be able to get his attention on somebody else. Oh, no. He's not going to be, he's, he's, he's just going to say, it's, it's you and me. 
Lord, I sure wish it was some people that was worse than me. He said, you, you leave that up to me, okay? So then each one of us will give an account to himself to God. And you go back to verse 7 and 8, and we're going to do that, it says. All right, it says here in verse 7, none of us lives to himself. I want you to listen. How many times have I heard this? Well, it's my life. I'll live it like I want to live it. I'll do with it what I want to do with it. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, not even God. Because I'm an independent human being. Well, that's not what the Bible says. You do not live to yourself. And no one dies to himself and and goes on, for whether we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. There are two things there that you've got to understand. The first one is this. We're responsible to Jesus as Lord of our lives. Whether we live, we live to the Lord. I'm going to just give you two verses. I could dwell on this for a long time. In Colossians it says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And down in verse 20 of Colossians it says, for, uh, it says, serve the Lord with all your heart. For you, for you do, it says, it's, I, I can't even remember exactly how it goes, but it says, it says, you, 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 what, oh, no, I know, I just thought of the verse. Whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord. By the way, I looked up that word, whatever. You mean, Lord, whatever? You mean it when I'm sitting at the breakfast table with my wife and she has a different opinion than I have and I get upset about it? I can't do whatever I do hardly to the Lord. He said, you sure can't. You sure can't. You know, do you realize that you're responsible to Jesus for Lord, uh, as Lord of your life, for your life in the home, for your marriage? How do you treat your wife? How does she treat you? Is there gentleness and kindness and peace? Are the words coming out of your mouth ministering grace and edifying those that are hearing? If you say, Brother Fred, I do all of that then I want to counsel you after this service and tell you about how serious it is to lie. I'm, I'm just telling you right now. The Bible says the tongue no man can tame. Only God can. But you don't get under condemnation for it. God knows you're not home yet, and he remembers you're frail. And, he, and you've made, I hope you, as a child of God you've made a choice to be holy and to be kind. But, you know, sometimes we don't do we. We, we don't walk in the Spirit. And so, hey, you know, the real test of your Christianity is not when you're in church or not even when you're at work. It's when you're at home and you shut the door and close the blinds and it's just you, your wife, and your kids. You, they'll really know who you are. Thank God for forgiveness and mercy and accountability. We're responsible to Jesus, Lord of our life in the home, 
Lord, our life in the world. You say, Brother Fred, I, I, I do pretty good when I'm at church, but it's not that important how I live in the world. What are you talking about? Jesus said of you, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your God, your Father which is in heaven. We're responsible to Jesus as Lord of our life in the home, in the world, in the church. Church is not a building. It's not bricks and mortar. The church of people. Church is people. Every, every person in the world is precious to God. I know God hates evil. And I'm not going to say that God hates evil men. But if he hates evil. But Jesus did come to seek and to save those who are lost. Zacchaeus was a pretty evil man. The demoniac in the tomb of the Gadarenes was a pretty evil man. So he, he warned the Pharisees and scribes, whom he called whited sepulchers, full of dead men's bones. He, he told them they better repent. But we just don't need to realize that uh, we're responsible to Jesus as Lord of our, li- of his, our lives in the church. That we would live righteous and godly lives and love each other and forgive each other and encourage each other. So we're we're accountable to Jesus as Lord of our life. We're responsible to Jesus uh, for our lives, but we're accountable to Jesus in death. When, When we live, we live unto the Lord. When we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. There are two judgments. And as I was studying and and looking over this and thinking about it the last couple of days, there's just the only way I can do justice is to preach a sermon on each one of them. But let me say this to you. I'm just going to say, what happens when a man dies? What happens when a woman dies? You're going to go to one or two judgments. If you're lost... You die without Christ. You die in your sins. In Revelation 20 it says that there's the great white throne judgment. And it's the judgment of the lost. And the verse goes like this. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose face heaven and earth fled away. Let me make a statement right there. There is going to be nobody taking God's name in vain when they stay there. There's going to be no one blaspheming Jesus when they stand there. From whose face they tried to run away. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. They could not hide from God. Read on. And I saw the dead. This is how we know that it's lost people. Small and great. Oh, there was the guy that was a a blue-collar worker. And uh, made a good living. 
but never turned his life over to Christ. Never repented of his sins, changed his mind about sin and about God and came to God. It it may be a homeless man. It may be a blue-collar worker. It may be a white-collar worker. I I mean, a worker is a worker to me. I don't even know where we got those names. You know, sometimes I wear a white collar and a blue collar, and it don't make no difference. I don't know why I said that. I, I I don't want to get a class segment here. But it was just the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. Oh, my soul. You're telling me that God is keeping a record? And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. Ooh, sin. By the things which were written in the books. You know, uh, the sea gave up the dead that were in them. Death and Hades to litter up the dead that were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is a second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. I've looked up the word fire. It means fire. Wasn't it interesting? And I'm not getting to, don't, this is not political. It is not But isn't it interesting that under examination, Kavanaugh says, I I keep a calendar of my life. And I look back into the year of 1982, and this is where I was on the weekend of uh, the first uh, weekend in August. And here I was uh, during the week. And and he said, and and he pointed to his calendar where he because his daddy had done the same thing. And he pointed to his calendar, and, and he had written in there where he was and who was with him and all that stuff. Now, I, I'm glad he did that. But you see, God, it says here, but God's keeping some books. God is. Now, you know what they'll do with that calendar? They can put a chemical on that calendar, and it'll say if it was written within the last six months. Or if it was written in 1982. I like that. You know, a person ought never be afraid of the truth. Amen? So I pray that it was written back in 1982. But it'll be good just to hear that vindication. And I pray it will be. But it says we will be judged for our sins. And so, and, 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 and you, you're judged for your sins. And then you died without Christ. And you're cast into the lake of fire. So that's the great white throne judgment. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. I never heard a sermon on that uh, in, when I was growing up. Never. Never knew, re- never knew anything about the judgment seat of Christ until 1969. You say, Brother Fred, you grew up in a Bible-believing church. I did. You went to a Bible-believing seminary. I did. And I feel sure that they taught it. And I feel sure I had to go through the book of 1 Corinthians. But I had never, it had never been etched in my mind. And I'm saying, I'm not saying it wasn't said. But you know, I I don't think, it's hard to forget something like this. 
And it's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, and it's the judgment of the saved. And, and, and I really need to preach a message on this whole thing, but I'll just read these scriptures, and I'm going to move on. Let me show you this is the judgment seat of Christ, and it is believers. Because don't forget now, in Romans, that chapter 14, it says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, written to believers. You go back to chapter 14, it says this, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All right, here we are in verse 9. You're God's fellow workers. You're God's field. You're God's building. That's got to be Christians. God's fellow workers, God's field, God, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Paul said, I've laid the foundation, and another builds on it. Boy, this is sobering. But let each one be careful how he builds on it. Well, what's the foundation? For other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. And we're building on the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work, not their sin, each one's work will become clear. The day will declare it, the judgment seat of Christ. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. All right, let's read on. All right, if, any, if anyone... Um, if anyone's work abides, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, so wood, hay, and straw, gold, silver, precious stones, it's going to be tried by fire. So anyone's work which he has built on it, the foundation of Jesus, if, if anyone's work which he has built on it, on it endures, he's going to receive a reward. But it says here in the next verse, if anyone's work, anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. You say, oh, my soul, I did not think you could lose your salvation. Read the rest of the verse. If, anyone, if anyone's work is burned, he, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet so as by fire. That may be why there's some tears in heaven. Because people's works are burned up. And all they have to offer the Savior is burned ashes of wood, hay, and straw. So there's the judgment seat of Christ. I will preach on that in the near future and explain what gold, silver, and precious stones are and all that kind of stuff. But I want to close it out by saying this. We've got to recognize the Lordship of Christ. He died, rose, and lives again that he might be Lord of the dead and the living. We've got to realize our accountability to the Lordship of Christ. We're responsible to Jesus as Lord of life. And we are accountable to Jesus as Lord in death. But what are his requirements, Brother Fred? I am so glad it is clear. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God can you imagine a person dies without Christ and probably they try, tried to flee away when they were at the great white throne but they couldn't flee away 
See, they're going to have to bow, and they're going to have to look up at the Savior's about to cast them into hell and say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Philippians, to the glory of God the Father. And you can confess him as Lord and surrender to him as Lord now. You don't ever have to do bow at that because you bow on earth and you won't have to bow at the great white throne. Now, the bowed knee means unconditional surrender. Let me tell you one thing. Why did people, when they would go into the presence of the king, why would they always, uh, why would they always bow? That was a symbol of unconditional surrender. It's hard to run when you're on your knees. It's hard to fight when you're on your knees. Basically, you're in a place of surrender. That's exactly where you are. So what are the requirements of, Jesus, of the Lordship of Christ? That you yield and you surrender every area of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every area of your life you surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Oh, no, now I got my work life and I got my church life and I got my social life and I got my recreational life. No, you do not. You have one life and you're accountable to God for that life. You cannot segment your life. You can't segment your life. No siree. God's just as interested of what you're doing when you're playing golf as he is when you're sitting here on Sunday morning. Well, he doesn't even see me when I'm playing golf. I hope not. But, you know, you say he doesn't even see me. Oh, yes, he does. And he hears what you say. Hey, God doesn't look at, oh, but that's Brother Fred's church life, and that's his, well, I can't play golf anymore, I'm too, and, and so forth, and so on. And he doesn't look at it this way. He just looks at my life, and he sees all, he knows all. But, man, he loves me. He loves me. Oh, he loves me. And thank God for his love. And thank God for his forgiveness. And thank God that he, by, when I fall down, he picks me up. He takes care of his children. But just understand, just understand that, you know, we're accountable. We've got to bow our knee. What does it mean to be saved, Brother Fred? It means that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Now, I know you're going to think this, but I'm going to help you. You say, Brother Fred, when I was saved, I knew nothing about the Lordship of Christ. All I knew was is I was a sinner and that if I died in my sins, I'd forever be separated from God and I came to Jesus and I asked him to save me. I didn't understand all about salvation. Okay. The best illustration I've ever heard of this is this. You start dating a person. Y'all fall in love. And I hope it's the love of God and you're joined together in Christ. And, And you get married. And you say, I do. Will you have this woman to be your wife? I do. Do you have this man to be your husband? I do. You know what you do? You find out what you've did the rest of your life. (laughs) Now I know what I do means. You understand? (laughs) When I got saved, I did not know all that was involved 
when I said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know I'm a sinner and I deserve hell, but I repent and Jesus saved me. I didn't know all that was involved. I didn't know that I didn't belong to myself. I didn't know I belonged to him, but I knew one thing, that I had to have Jesus and I had to repent and receive him. And then God, you've been showing me ever since that day what it means to be saved, what it means to be saved, what it means to be saved, what it means to be saved. What It's called sanctification. What it means for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. It's a process. Thank God, God is very patient and long-suffering with us. The bowed knee, unconditional surrender to Jesus, and the confessing tongue. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I remember vividly Woodlawn Baptist Church, Decatur, Georgia. Vance Havner, he was like a withered up prune. He was just, just, he was so frail, you know, and so small, but oh, he was powerful. Oh my God, he was powerful. Lord have mercy. And he'd preached on the Lordship of Christ. And I guess that night, maybe we had 150, 200 people. He said, I tell you what I want you to do. You say you believe Jesus Christ is Lord? Yes. Well, I want you to stand up and confess it before this whole congregation. And they started one by one. And you know, Dr. Havner, he just uh, praising God. One guy got up and started going off on a tangent, going somewhere. And I said, oh, my soul, what's Dr. Havner going to do? Well, Lord, that little dried up prune, he looked at him and said, you sit down and be quiet because that is not what I'm asking you to do. I said, thank God. I said, I didn't know he had such courage. But he was a man of God. I'm not going, I can't, I don't have time to have every one of you who have surrendered every area of your life to Jesus to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. But you can say it every day as you begin the morning, Jesus Christ is my Lord. And when you check in at work, Jesus Christ is my Lord. And as you go about the day, you can just say, what would Jesus do there? Jesus wouldn't do that. Well, what, what about over here? No. You see, you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he's directing your steps. And you've already made up your mind. Well, this is so important. Man, oh, this is so important. You've already made up your mind that you're going to obey Jesus rather than man, obey Jesus rather than your flesh, obey Jesus rather than this world. It's the bottom line is if it costs you your life, you're going to obey Jesus. And so you confess Jesus as Lord every day by the way you live and by the choices you make. And that's the only thing that counts.